and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Pastor Shirley Baskett. Uh, Shirley's uh, pastor of a church down in Melbourne and also part of Exodus Asia Pacific, which is uh, a coalition of Christian ministries in Australia and New Zealand that uh, help people that are struggling with sexual addictions. Uh, Shirley's got a powerful story to uh, share with us today. Welcome to History Makers, Shirley. Hi, thanks very much. Now, uh, we're up here in Brisbane. You're you're, uh, speaking at a few different things uh, and events, basically sharing your story of uh, being raised as a Christian, going to Bible college. Do you want to tell us a little bit of your background and uh, and where you grew up, how you grew up and everything? Sure. Yeah, I grew up in a family where my mother was a believer and a good, strong Christian, but my father had gone away from his faith And that was partly because I had a brother who was autistic and this had been quite a challenge to my parents. And because I was the last one on the line, um, the youngest in the family, uh, I kind of missed out on some of the the family TLC, I guess you could say. And uh, because of that, as I grew up, I grew up with quite a lot of confusion. I grew up wondering who my father was because he was a very remote man. And some of these things had outcomes later on, which they often do with people. Yeah, and so I grew up and I wanted to be a Christian, wanted to follow God. I went through a Bible college when I was 19. Uh, Prior to that, it had been the wild 60s, and so I'd got myself totally involved in all of that. And so I'd um, had a bit of a roller coaster with my faith even up till then. And I'd explored lots of different relationships with young men and that sort of thing, but I'd kind of come off the worst in some of those. And so I was kind of at a point probably when I came out of Bible college where I was in quite a lot of confusion. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've heard people share that, uh, you know, once you finish Bible college, you, you know, you've learned all the good stuff, you, you're ready to launch out into whatever God's called you to do. Um, but often that can be the time when you go through the blues and you go through some of the lowest parts of your life, you know, trying to work out what to do next. Tell us what happened uh, in your life after Bible college. Well, what happened to me after Bible college was actually like an angel plummeting to the earth, I would say, mm. because halfway through my Bible college year, I had been going out with a music group and I was a singer and and we were meeting up with another group and in that group there was a young woman who played guitar and in that last six months in Bible college I'd actually fallen in love with this girl. And so of course that was pretty confusing. I was in a, a Pentecostal Bible college and I'd fallen in love with another woman. So I, I guess I went through a lot of denial in my mind and I actually didn't think that anything would come of it. I thought that I was just having some sort of obsessional thing. Um, However, on my graduation night from Bible college, I'd gone to stay with this particular girl and and our relationship started on that very night on my graduation night from Bible college. And so it was an incredible shock to me to think that I had actually followed through on something that I didn't actually believe in. And what that led to was a very, very compulsive relationship. It was probably the most intense relationship I'd ever had, and but it was also a very destructive one. And it wasn't very long before this girl found another female partner and left me. And so um, by that time, I'd I'd basically thrown aside my faith for this relationship, and and so I was kind of left high and dry. Uh, but 
The problem after that was that I then realised that I had this incredible tendency or wasn't even a tendency, I just felt naturally that I was much more attracted to women. And so I, I then thought, well, I've got to find somebody else now to fill my life, if you like. And I know a lot of people do this in all sorts of relationships, but this is what happened in my story. And and so I got into another relationship with another woman, and that didn't work out very well either. And But by that time, I was totally convinced that I was um, homosexual and and that I couldn't change and that I had, because I'd looked back over my life, I'd realised from a very young age I'd had crushes on other girls, even at the age of 10, I could look back and see a history there. And so I began to believe that I must have been born that way and that there was no way that I could change. And so from then on, it was almost a pursuit of trying to find this perfect love that I was going to hopefully one day find. I can only imagine um, how alienated you must have felt from your family and Christian friends and church friends. Did, did you, you know, were you vilified a lot? Did you go through a lot of tough times, you know, while you were searching for your identity there? That's a very good question, actually, mm-hmm. because to be honest, most Christians tried very valiantly to kind of veer me off that life, obviously. Mm. But most were very loving with it too, and they they tried to help me, but actually. Because of the way that I'd chosen to go, I sort of dropped most of those friends off very quickly and um, went out into a lifestyle that didn't really include Christian friends. Uh, I did try going to church for quite some time, but what I found was that I just, it was like um, living almost Jekyll and Hyde in a way. I knew that I had lost my relationship with Jesus, um, and that was my experience. And the other thing that I knew very shortly was that I began to lose joy too. I had a lot of fun. I wouldn't have stayed out there that long if I hadn't had a lot of fun. But I didn't have joy. I didn't really have that deep joy. But over those years that I lived in that lifestyle, I didn't really have Christian friends, to be honest. Um, And I just gave myself into the lifestyle, I suppose, and in the way that I did it and um, pursued that. It wasn't that I had said, well, I'm not going to believe in God anymore. I still believed in God, and I still believed in Jesus, but I knew that I didn't have relationship with him. I never heard anything from the voice of God, if you like. Um, not that I go hearing audible voices, of course, but mm. Mm. Um, just my heart never really had that connection with, with God, and I longed for that. And so at the end of that time, I didn't know it was going to be the end of that time, but um, when I got to about 28, I began to wonder whether I really was ever going to meet, meet this perfect person, and I started to doubt that I ever would. Um, I, I'd also become quite a heavy drinker at the time too, and I began to look back and I began to think to myself that most of my weekends looked the same. Uh, It was sort of a long procession of going out and about and trying to sort of grasp some kind of joy or happiness and I wasn't really liking what I was looking at. And at that point, I can't say that I was miserably depressed. In fact, I was being more pragmatic in a way. I was starting to think to myself that if I couldn't see much future ahead, then I might as well just do myself in. Um, However, I was maybe a little suspicious that God did exist and I wasn't quite sure what I'd find on the other side if I did that. 
Now, I'd managed to hide all of this from my parents. Amazingly, um, I had lived this kind of double life. All of my friends knew I was very openly gay. I didn't have any shame about being gay. Um, But I had hidden it from my parents, partly because I was far more terrified of my mother than I ever would have been of, of even God. And God hadn't hit me with lightning, but my mother sure would have if she could have. <laughs> anyway, but, um, and I didn't really want to hurt them either. And because of my mother's faith, I knew it would hurt her. My sister knew all about my lifestyle and, and she used to often say that she was praying for me. And I appreciated that. She'd say to me, I don't agree with your lifestyle, but I love you. And mm. I knew she did. Mm. And uh, at the end of that time when I was around 28, I kind of basically thought, well, you know, there's two ways. Either God does exist and I can get back to him or I may as well find some way to do myself in that's as painless as possible. I thought about throwing myself off the Auckland Harbour Bridge, but I know some people just break limbs, so that was out of the question. Anyway, but I was kind of thinking along those lines, really, because I didn't really like what I was seeing up ahead of me. So I prayed a last prayer. I was actually walking up the main street in Auckland, and and I said, well, basically, God, if you're out there, if you can you show me? Because if you reach out to me, then I'll grasp onto that and believe that you'll give me the power to come back to you. Because it wasn't that I was thinking I don't want to be gay anymore. It was more that I wanted God more than anything else. Yeah, and yeah. I wanted that relationship with Jesus that I'd lost. And um, that night I went home and there was a knock at the door and there was a long, tall, skinny guy by the name of Jeff Day who was knocking on my door, who I'd known as a Christian years before. And and I thought, well, what's he doing here? You know, he must be going around knocking on the door, sharing his faith with people or something. But I knew him to be a very gentle, meek sort of person. And so I I didn't think he'd really do that. But anyway, he said, look, I've come around to see you. And he said, I'll be honest with you. Your mother and your sister have rung our church and asked if somebody could come and see you. Well, it was actually a very big church, 2,000-odd people. And I know what I would say if somebody rang and asked me to do that. I'd probably say, well, if that person doesn't want help, then why would I go bother them? And um, But he knew me, this man, and it had been delegated to him. So he thought, well, I'll have to go. So in meekness, he came around to see me. And But it was the day that I'd prayed that prayer. Yeah. And, and because he was such a gentle person, I knew I had my sign. And so that was a day of turning for me. I came back to God at that point and it was quite funny really because I didn't feel anything I spoke with him I talked to him I said yes I'll come to church with him and his wife on Sunday but I didn't feel any great elation I just thought God's giving me a chance I'm going to grip onto this with two hands I don't know whether he may never give me another chance and um, so that weekend I, I went to my local pub which just happened to be closing down that weekend which was great because I didn't have to know where all my drinking buddies were going after that if I didn't want to, and I chose not to. And um, and I went and I said goodbye to everybody. And then I went out to parties after that and said goodbye to as many people as I could. <laughs> and, of course, everybody said to me, well, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going back to um, God. <laughs> and they said, well, that's stupid, you know. I mean, why do you need to do that? I mean, nobody does this. You'll be back. And I said, no, I won't be because I knew that I just wanted to follow Jesus with everything I had. And uh, so I did. I went to church on the Sunday and 
And from then on, I went into a completely different life. And what happened was I decided that I wasn't going to lay down anything unless God really showed me. And that included my drinking, my homosexuality, everything. And so basically, I just, I was living on my own at the time in an inner city flat. And so I spent a lot of time reading the Bible and just spending time listening to Christian worship and and listening to tapes and reading the Bible, praying, um, you know, and basically rebuilt that relationship with Jesus. And so that was my whole passion at the time, rebuilding my life with Jesus. And he changed a lot of things in me. He changed my identity. He showed me that my identity didn't have to be in my sexuality, that it was in him. And I didn't go through any reparative therapy. There was no such thing as exodus at the time, although I'm very glad that there is now because there were lots of things that I learned later that were very, very useful to me that I learned through organisations like Exodus. But at that point, it was my pursuit of Jesus. And so, you know, to me, it wasn't a matter of changing from being gay to straight. It was a matter of knowing Jesus and following whatever he wanted me to do. And later on, that included marriage, which was utterly terrifying to me. But he brought into my life a young man uh, whose name was Peter. He was six and a half years younger than me. He'd come from a punk background, uh, and he say this was a crazy mix. <laughs> I met him in a church home group that we were going to at the time with the long, tall, skinny, gentle guy, Jeff Day, running it. <laughs> and uh, and the first thing I thought when I met this young guy was, this young guy, straight out of the punk scene, probably thinks he's seen a bit of life. You know, he wouldn't even begin to know the things that I've been and seen and done. And he looked over at me and thought, Little Miss Church girl, been nowhere, done anything. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it was quite funny. But I discovered as I got to know him that our relationship didn't have to be based on our backgrounds. It was actually based on both of us having that same passion for Jesus. And that's a short part of the story, what God did in me and in him for that matter, because we both had to learn what love was. He had as much crazy sort of um, strange ways of thinking about love as I did. And so, yeah, it was a very, very funny romance. And I've been very fortunate because I actually got to write my story into a, a book. And so it was published in the UK and and I called it The Woman Who Outran the Devil. That's a great and name for a book. I love that. <laughs> it was a bit tongue-in-cheek because when I was in my lifestyle, I, at one point I got so miserable that I would occasionally say I, out loud, I would say to myself, oh, I think I'll try and get back to God. And every time I did that, it was like everything fell into my hands, especially the relationship I was pursuing. And so I thought I'd beat the devil at his own game. And I thought, oh, this is great. And I tested it. And I one time clinically said, I think I'll try and get back to God because I was pursuing some particular female. And and the relationship happened. And I thought, I've done it. I've got him. Mm. But I didn't really have him because it was empty and totally uh, a joyless experience anyway. Mm. So that's why I called it The Woman Who Outran the Devil. <laughs> and uh, you, you um, love to write, and you know that's a big part of your life. Do you um, want to connect with those, like with Exodus Ministries? And you know, t- t- tell us what happens. Like, do you connect with those that are struggling with their sexual identity and share your story? And do you see a lot of people, you know, come out of that scene and, and 
become healthy and whole again? Like, t- tell us a little bit about how you're impacting people nowadays. Sure. Well, through Exodus and through other ministries like Exodus, I have seen people come through. Um, I would say that I would be probably what I'd call high end of the spectrum because I came through to a place that was, to me, very whole. Um, I ended up marrying somebody. and But that's kind of an unusual thing. A lot of people do come and they don't want their homosexual feelings. Uh, I'm not interested in trying to persuade people who want to be homosexual. That's not my role to do that. But there are some people who desperately want to move away from that. And in churches, I speak sometimes, I tell my story, and in every church I go to, there's always somebody who's struggling with something, even if it's something similar to that, which is why we deal with all sorts of different things as well, other sexual addictions, other things that are related as well. Uh, And yes, we find there are a lot of people who do walk away, and people say, well, where are all these people? Where are these, you know, stories of ex-gay people? I don't know that I even like that term, to be honest, because I didn't make that a goal for me. But there are quite, well, I'm not going to say hundreds of them because it's not, but there are a number of them. But most of them that I know don't want to put their necks out there because they don't want to have people try and, um, you know, attack them or whatever, or because that can happen. And it can be quite um, strong attacks sometimes too. But also a lot of them just want to live their lives. And uh, I mean, I've known a number of women anyway and, and some men as well. In fact, the statistics actually show more men seem to be able to walk away than women in an easier way. But I've known a number of women who they're married today or they have children and they don't want their, their children to know or Maybe they haven't even told their husbands, and it's not necessarily a shame thing. It's just that they want to live their lives as they are now. And so, yes, I have met people who've, you know, they've really come into a fresh new life. Mm. Yeah. Now, Shirley, there might be people listening, you know, that are thinking, I'm in that place where Shirley was. I, I knew about God. I understood a bit of the Bible. I knew a bit about church, but... I was so, you know, you were so far away from God at that time, and all you wanted to do was reconnect with Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, you shared about your time in that flat where you really got close to God again. Uh, how would you speak to those listeners that are searching for God right now? How would you counsel them to reconnect with God in some way? Well, I think it's definitely a personal journey. Everybody's journey is different. But I, I would say try and connect with people who understand your struggle. Yeah. Now, quite often, I mean, a pastor will try and help you. Pastors and churches will try to love you a lot. But there are people who are what we would call sex boots, if you like. <laughs> and I mean, we're not saying yeah. we know everything, but maybe we can understand your struggle. Mm. And so I would say seek out people who, and you can get different um, people through churches. You can get recommendations of counsellors who specialise in these areas. And go along and find somebody who knows what you're talking about. Someone you can be transparent with that you can trust. Mm. And um, that's what I would say. I mean, a lot of people who have faith do struggle with these issues. And and they wonder who they can ever talk to. Mm. But that's what we exist for. And we've got the details here for Exodus Asia Pacific. Uh, you can Google them and, and, and look, look up the, uh, the details. Or the website is uh, www.exodusasiapacific.faithweb.com. 
uh, for the Australian New Zealand links there. And, uh, and of course, Shirley's contactable through uh, Exodus if people ever want to get in contact with Shirley and the book The Woman Who Outran the Devil. I'm going to have to read that. It sounds very good. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just have been so inspired to hear, you know, because you, you hear prodigal son stories and pro- prodigal daughter yeah. stories, and I, I'm just so inspired to hear that, um, you know, God is using you uh, and using your story to touch people because uh, it's just such an important story. So thank you for sharing. I reckon you're a history maker. And, uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Okay, God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. That brings us to the end of this week's show. You can listen to this interview again or any of our other interviews. Simply go to historymakersradio.com. Thanks for joining us. History Makers.